Now, get ready to spend the next two hours with our three sports-loving ladies, Lauren Brooks, Taylor Dahl, and Mia O'Brien. This is Helmets and Heels. Driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. Well, ladies and JJ, I miss Victory Tuesday. Seems like we had a really good run there, and the last couple of weeks have not gone according to plan as the Jaguars most recently lost 31-27 to the, Bang- to, the, sorry, to the Browns up in Cleveland. Before that, to the Bengals on Monday Night Football here at home. Still have four games left to play, though they're 8-5. and five. Not where I think we obviously wanted them to be or expected them to be, but NFL teams do sometimes lose games. I think that's the collective... Uh, feeling after this weekend, right? And they do lose back-to-back games. Mm-hmm. This team lost back-to-back games at the beginning of the year, and it was a similar sentiment of the sky is falling, everything is over, everything is awful, and, and then they won five straight games. <laughs> so just want to bring everybody back to that moment um, and I, because it could happen again. It certainly could. And Well, not well, yeah, I guess into the playoffs. Right, into the yeah, playoffs. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the thing, too, Taylor, I was looking at – articles today and Cody Benjamin of CBS Sports ranks his top 10 Super Bowl contenders. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, let's just see, mm-hmm. you know, someone who's unbiased. Let's see if he has the Jaguars in it. Lo and behold, the Jaguars were in the top 10. Yeah. Now, granted, they were 10th because of the last two weeks losing to backup quarterbacks, but still in the in the top 10 of all of the NFL teams and Super Bowl contenders. So let's take a deep breath, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I think that it's easy to start to worry a little bit, and there's reasons to, because I feel like a lot of people haven't seen the product they thought was going to happen. Even in that five-game win stretch, there were still moments where they were like, well, they're winning these games, but they left 12 points on the field, or they had multiple turnovers or whatever. But there is some times where you have to breathe, and you say you're still atop the AFC South. You still are in a lot of rankings towards the top. Uh, the defense has struggled the last couple weeks, but overall this season they've been able to get it done when it's needed to get done. So, and last two years ago, you would be begging to have eight wins at this point of the season. So it is take a breath, but it also is, hey, uh, that's what we are here for to talk about what is wrong or what is right and move on from there because all you can do now is look at next week. Even last year, we would have loved eight wins yeah. at this point in the yeah, season, right? Like, it feels like we have such short memories, yeah. you know? Uh, but as, to me, I said this yesterday on the Fringe Show, Mia, the fact that Trevor Lawrence played six days after a high ankle sprain, that is a bigger win than anything else that could have come out of that game. Yes, an actual win would have been great. But, <laughs> but the only you, bigger win was that he came out of the game healthy. Absolutely. Like, you have a quarterback who's not just tough, but he's also available to play Sunday night against the Ravens. And yes, I losing was not fun, especially in the fashion that the Jaguars lost. But Trevor Lawrence played. That is mm-hmm. big news. He played, and they had a chance to win the game multiple times over. And so what would you rather? A situation in which your best asset can't put his best foot forward, and then you know, you're already behind the eight ball in your chances to win a ball yeah. game. And I've heard plenty of you on the text line brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures about C.J. Beathard could have done that whatever, argue, argue amongst yourselves. Um, I've covered CJ for the last eight years, so do with that information what you will um, in some form or capacity. So that that's the biggest thing for me is that if you didn't have a healthy Trevor, would you have been as, as upset if they lost this game? If CJ Beathard had played and they had lost in this fashion, what would be the sentiment in Jacksonville then? Because that's where well, Trevor wasn't playing. Right. That would have been the same. There would have been an excuse. Yeah. And so that's now there's this this notion of, well, because Trevor played, we needed to win. Mm-hmm. 
And yes, you probably should feel that way, and that's a good thing because I think that's how Trevor feels too. For sure. And there, there's a lot of teams right now, even more recently with Justin Herbert, that are now looking at their season without their starting quarterback. So you do have to be thankful for that because it was a, a situation where there was concern, like high concern for a minute. And then even he got sacked four times last week, and every sack you're kind of holding your breath a little bit in those moments, and he came out healthy. And now you have a guy who you know Trevor is that guy of of – any of the quarterbacks in the league, he's definitely towards the top of ones that can come back and rebound after having games like he did, after having a game like the Jags did last week, even though it wasn't on Trevor Lawrence for the most part. Yeah, I mean, did he make some mistakes? Sure, yeah. but it's really difficult to play that position when you have a left knee that's kind of banged up and a right ankle that's banged up. Yeah. I mean, at some point you have to look at the totality of what he's been going through, and I'm sure he would t you know, tell you he's not anywhere close to 100%, but he was close enough to be able to play. The defense, I think, is is... You know, something we need to focus on and something all the shows on this radio station have been pointing a finger at. They've given up 65 points and almost 900 yards during the last two weeks. And I can't stress that enough. That's Jake Browning and freaking Joe Flacco. Yeah. Like, and while 38 years old, by the way, since I'm older than that, everyone keeps joking about how old he is. Like, that's not that old for the <laughs> record. But I will say, like, those are not guys that you expected this defense to, to yeah. let them beat you. But this defense hasn't looked like itself, and those those blown assignments have just cost this team massively. Yeah, and, and that's where I know Coach Campo said it on primetime today, and I know Doug Peterson said it yesterday in his press conference. If you take away those three plays that resulted in touchdowns in which the defense just went MIA, mm -hmm. that's not only 120 yards and 21 points, but that's the ball game. The reality, though, is that that is what football games in the NFL are decided by, those three to four plays yeah. that absolutely shift where a game is going to – the outcome is going to lie. And so that's where I think for the Jags and even watching the Giants and the Dolphins improbable victories last night, that was a big takeaway I had was those plays that can be game changers. Those catches along the sideline, the improbable, like, wow, how did he do that throw and catch – those have not been going the Jaguars' way of late. Yeah. The improbable takeaways. And for what it's worth, the Jags' defense did do what they have done the bulk of the season. They they forced three, three takeaways. So I'm not really sure you can fully blame them outside of those three plays because, you know, if you take those three plays out, they played the same defense they've been playing all year. But those three plays are what right. cost you the exactly. football game. Yeah, I mean – the Titans beat the Dolphins last night. I think in part, if you go back to the blocked field goal that the Dolphins had mm -hmm. early on, I mean, those three points, it, it's so critical. And it's why we also spend a lot of time, yeah. not just on air, but talking to our friends and colleagues about why certain coaches make certain decisions going yeah. for two, not, you know, all that kind of stuff when they do. But at the end of the day, it, you have a, everything you want in front of you. Yeah. And so I think while it's easier to discuss all the things that have gone wrong, all the issues, the hope is that things get back on track and you beat the Ravens and we're talking about potentially the number one seed in the AFC. It's like it's like that Bengals loss never happened if the Jaguars can beat the, the Ravens, Ravens and if sure. other things go their way because, again, thank you Titans last night. Yeah, because in the beginning of the season when you were looking at this stretch of schedule, you were like, man, this is hard. You have to play Joe Burrow. You have to play uh, Deshaun, Deshaun Watson. Watson. You have to play Lamar Jackson. <clears throat> excuse me. And 
now you're then you're kind of like, man, these quarterbacks are getting hurt. So we have a little bit of an easier ride. And then you lose two of the games that you thought were going to be part of that easier ride. And that's so I get people being let down. And because I am, too, I was watching that game and I was like, you shouldn't be losing this game. Granted, Cleveland has been playing really good football. And overall, their roster is one of the better rosters. It just shows how good outside of quarterback the rest of their roster is because they are a lot. They're able to make a lot of plays on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I think that's the the key is I probably should have looked at that game a little differently, less focusing on Joe Flacco or yeah. Dorian Thompson-Robinson and more focusing on just how good they are at their lines of scrimmage yeah. and how that's where the Jaguars are struggling. I do think, Mia, if the Jaguars had had a better pass rush, if you take – it's easy to say Miles Garrett because he was on the other side. But if you even take one of the guys that was a, a last-second free agent or late trade, any of those guys that we kind of talked about that didn't come here. If you added them to the Jaguars roster, I mean, that game probably would have gone a different way. Am I going to say Arden gonna, Key? Am I going to say the guy who built the Buckman? Arden Key? I, I don't know. He have a sack last he, night. That built yeah. the Buckman. He Canadian wanted to leave. Clowney has more sacks this year. And he is but, a perfect example. But yeah. like, you know who I'm talking about. Like any of those guys that we all batted around, whether it was in Frank March. Clark or, or, yeah, or whether it was yeah. right before the trade deadline. Yeah. Any of those guys might have done more. Like, I understand people critiquing Trayvon Walker. I thought Trayvon almost got to Joe Flacco a few Multiple times. Multiple times. But if he had gotten to Joe Flacco, yeah. I really think the result might have been different. And you're talking about a different story. You're talking about how Trayvon Walker is getting to the quarterback consistently now, and a game like that would have flipped it. And that's but instead, an, you're saying yeah. he's still close. But That's an there. underrated part of the conversation surrounding Trayvon Walker, especially in light of the Detroit Lions and Aiden Hutchinson's struggles over the last few weeks. Aiden Hutchinson has been struggling because James Houston has been out. Aleem McNeil has been out. Mm -hmm. And it's all on him. Yeah. He's kind of looking like what Josh Allen looked like the last two years where he's getting double and triple teamed because he is the only threat. Speaking of Josh Allen, what I think would be the biggest benefit to Trayvon Walker and part of why Josh Allen is having success this year is that if you go back to Josh Allen's rookie season, you not only had Calais Campbell, but you had Yannick Ngakwe. Mm -hmm. You need at least three guys. Two is great. Yep. But you need that third guy because you need – so one guy in Trayvon can unlock Josh, but to unlock Trayvon, you need to have that third dude. Yeah. They don't. And that's with all due respect to the guys on the sure. interior. Duan Smoot, I mean, is uh -huh. trying right. to be one of and those he's, guys. And he's looking – you know, yeah. he's a rotational guy who is coming off an Achilles tear, and he looks great, all things considered. But until you have – I mean, those three names I just listed, Calais Campbell, Yannick Ngakwe, Josh Allen, at different points of their careers, they have been considered – top five in the league yeah. in sacks and getting after the quarterback. And so that's where for Trayvon Walker to take the next step, you need somebody besides a rotation. You need an elite guy because Roy Robertson Harris has had to fill in for the gaps where Foley Fadokasi has been banged up. Devon Hamilton was on IR for eight weeks. And, and so now you're asking him to do too much. So he can't be that third guy. Mm -hmm. So who is, and then you rely on design blitzes from your secondary and now a little bit more this year, the second level in Foye Aluikin and Devin Lloyd. But that can't be considered an equivalent replacement for having an extra guy on the front. And a pass rusher. And that's why everyone was screaming that multiple Absolutely. times during the offseason and before the trade. Yeah. Line. And we obviously should have also been saying there's not enough depth yep. along the offensive line, but yeah. we didn't know all these different things obviously would happen. At the end of the day, I think maybe if Adam Gotsis doesn't, Mm -hmm. have that penalty. Yeah. We are still talking like it's it's those games whether it was the Bengals or the Browns, both games came down to just those 
very few inches almost, right? Mm-hmm. Like whether it's the th- fourth and three or, or things like that. And well, so, yeah. It, and there's there's definitely, sorry, there's definitely still moments and they talk about it on both the last two broadcasts of the third down conversions. And like for some reason, the third and shorts are just not getting, not getting there. And they were seven for 17 on third downs. I don't know which percentage of that were in a, a certain number off the top of my head, but there's multiple, sir, there's multiple times during that game where I was like a third and short, this should be something you should be able to do pretty easily with the way that this offense should be able to function and it hasn't been able to happen. Yeah, and it's I think the obvious answer for me is you can't run the ball in, in third and short, yeah. and that's because you're not run blocking well, and it's not all Travis Etienne's fault. I, I thought he had some nice explosive plays against the Browns, but at the end of the day, if you can't if you can't do something even remotely close to what the Eagles do in that tush push, you're not going to win some of those football Unserious games. football team until otherwise proven in that category. And I think what's the problem is that it's great that Travis Etienne's success in the run game comes from behind the tackle position and when mm-hmm. he hits the edge. And that's a tribute to, for what it's worth, if we could give the offensive line a little bit of flowers, it's to Anton Harrison, who mm-hmm. has continued to develop year after year. There was a point in the game where you're looking around and you're like, their most reliable offensive lineman may be the twenty what was he twenty eighth overall twenty seventh overall pick mm-hmm. like that that's the guy right now that you'd say yeah. if Travis Etienne has to run behind one of these five guys make it him it's him yeah and so that's a tribute to developing him obviously when Walker Little was in there probably their best one of their best five linemen yeah Ezra Cleveland I thought played great the limited action he saw at left tackle and when he has played left guard he's been a, a reliable force for whoever is at running back to run behind him. And so it's it's just that interior to which, as the as the play caller, as a coaching staff, when you're developing this game plan, you have to address it, but you also have to accept that if you completely ignore that middle portion of the offensive line and don't run behind it, then teams are going to know exactly where you're running. And yeah. that's what happened at the end of last year, if you remember, and why Travis Etienne was having such a hard time finding any ground in the run game in the second half of last year yeah. because everyone knew he was going to hit the edge. Yeah. Everyone and their mother knew. And now you throw in a rib injury that he's been battling over the last few weeks, and that makes it even more difficult. Yeah. And Trevor can only inspect or gadget his arm so far for <laughs> first downs. Yeah, and when it's fourth and three, you're not going to be able to do that. His arms aren't quite that long, to your point, Taylor. All right, we will get it to the Jaguars-Ravens game when we come back, review our impact players, and Mia has a Jaguars injury report. That's all on the other side. You are listening to Helmets and Heels, driven by Charlotte on Tension XL 92.5 FM. Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. I know it's easy to be pessimistic about this team right now, the Jaguars, because of the two losses like we just talked about and broke down. But, Mia, my hope is found in the team getting healthy. Good segue, Lauren, because I'm looking at our YouTube chat comments right now. And my guy, Dave, dude, (laughs) I think I need to send you a Christmas gram in the words of Buddy the Elf. Hopefully we can win one or two and squeak into the playoffs, but I'm a Jags fan. I expect to, expect us to crap the bed and end up eight and nine. I mean, what is up with this? Like, I, I understand Jags are going to jag. Like, it's it's years it's and history, years yeah. of right. scars, a yeah. lot of scarring in there. It's also when you see the defense, like we just talked about, with those miscommunications several weeks in a row. You expect those to continue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You lost your wide receiver that's been, looks like consistent. maybe. You yeah. lost Christian Kirk for the foreseeable. Mm-hmm. 
your quarterback is banged up. Your line, offensive line's banged up. You're out, yeah, you haven't been able to run the ball. Your running backs are banged up. And oh, by the way, when you look at the schedule, the Ravens are a tough team. They are a physical team. Even though it's in your house, that's going to be a really hard game. The Bucks are playing better, and they're fighting for a playoff spot, trying mm-hmm. to win their division. The Panthers, okay, not so bad. And then the Titans beat the Dolphins last night on the road in a very hostile environment. Yeah. And they're undefeated at home. Right. So there is a or lot at least of all four of their wins had come before last night at home. Yeah. So there's a lot of reasons, and I'm not saying Jags fans should be pessimistic, but I understand being very nervous about going one and three. I'm not mm-hmm. saying they're not going to win it again, but like I do understand the mindset of because the Titans have had your number for so long. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the Jaguars will probably go more like three and one. Mm-hmm. And but again, my hope relies on this team getting healthy. So Mia. Yeah. Taken away as far as the injury report goes. The personal injury attorneys of Farah and Farah present this injury update. Farah and Farah. Jacksonville. Exclusive injury law firm of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Per Doug Peterson, yesterday when he spoke with reporters, Ezra Cleveland and Andre Sisco's initial testing on their knee and groin injuries respectively came out clean, a.k.a. Ezra Cleveland had an MRI and nothing was ripped, torn, broken. Everything came out nice and clean. So he is listed as day-to-day. So is Cisco. Walker Little missed this past weekend's game with the hamstring injury. He is expected to attempt to practice this week, although I'm told the hamstring injury more significant than most people expected, and they need to really know if he can anchor at the point of when he is standing along the offensive line before they can put him into game action. Brenton Strange suffered a foot injury in Friday's practice prior to the Monday night game, saw him with a boot in the locker room the last week or so. He was inactive the last two weeks. He is expected to also hopefully get back on the practice field this week. Doug Peterson sounded optimistic about those two players. Before I get to a significant injury on the Ravens' side of things, um, do want to note, if you look at the Jaguars' press release from today slash their most recent roster, um, Nathan Rourke obviously was signed to the active roster to be that emergency third quarterback. I'm very curious to see if he remains that emergency third quarterback like he did against the Saints and now against the Browns. Or do they waive him, put him back on the practice squad so long as he clears waivers? Because Christian Braswell will be available to be activated because he is in the 21-day window. You saw Greg Jr. struggle at the nickel at times. You know Antonio Johnson can play it, but he's obviously a safety. They really like Braswell, who played nickel a lot in college. Mm -hmm. Do they try to throw another rookie in the mix and see what they have there? That remains to be seen. If Flacco can keep getting practice squatted, uh, then I'm sure (laughs) Nathan Rourke can. Right, exactly. And Joe Flacco is choosing to stay on the practice squad, and no one's biting. So if Nathan Rourke says, I want to stay in Jacksonville, maybe they'll let him. Uh, Devin Duvernay, the all-pro returner for the Baltimore Ravens, officially placed on injured reserve today with a back injury, although obviously we saw Tylen Wallace in the – the backups at the return position come up very mm-hmm. clutch uh, in that win over the Rams in overtime on Sunday. But obviously that that's another wide receiver, even though he's kind of slid down the depth chart for Baltimore as they've made acquisition after acquisition and drafting Zay Flowers, signing Odell Beckham Jr. Rashad Bateman's continued, as, continued ascent. But obviously, you know, an, an, it's not like they haven't fought the battle of attrition as well in Baltimore. If you go back to earlier in the season, I mean, there was at one point they had like two healthy offensive linemen. Yeah. Um, they just went through a lot of that attrition earlier in the year. We already know Mark Andrews is out mm-hmm. of this game. And so it'll be curious to see how healthy the Ravens are as well, although they do keep finding ways to win. And that is the fair and fair injury update. Well done. Also, uh, Kyle Hamilton, the safety. Yes, is- great, great point. I almost forgot. The MCL. So it's a grade one MCL. He sa- it sounds like he is doubtful for this Sunday night game. 
However, Trevor Lawrence had a low-grade one MCL sprain, as we know, and still played against the Saints. He's the quarterback. He's the safety. They're currently in the driver's seat for the number one seed. I'm very curious if Kyle Hamilton does or does not play. He was an absolute baller the one game I saw him play at Notre Dame against Florida State. Like, I will never forget for the life of me watching him cover the width of the field on that interception he had against Mackenzie Milton in Florida State that night. Like, he is a freak athlete. He's a guy that I know a lot of um, draft pundits said, is he ever going to actually – be able to play multiple positions and, you know, be the safety that he is. And it looks like he can. He can kind yeah. of do anything he wants. Yeah. So I had a friend who throughout that draft mm. process was like, can we please draft him, please? And I was like, I just, I'm sorry. I don't think they're going to, <laughs> but yeah, certainly uh, is a great player. All right. When it comes to the impact players that we picked against the Browns, I went with Blake Hans, which was also uh, the left tackle is what I thought he was going to be. Uh, it turned out as Cleveland started the game, but as Mia said, he went out, so it ended up being Blake Hans. Blake Hans and Anton Harrison, uh, and J.J. also went with left tackle. I I think the offensive line did okay. In pass I'll protection, say that. In it pass pro, bad. they did they did fine. Right. Uh, but not, I mean, Trevor still got beat up yeah. uh, back there. Uh, and then, Mia, you went with Ezra Cleveland, so you kind of mm-hmm. went with the same exact thing, thinking, and hopefully he'll be okay. And then, Taylor, you picked Jerome Ford and Kareem Hunt for the Browns. I think Jerome Ford, that one bobbled catch that he somehow caught, yeah. that was one that I that felt was like a was a dagger. Catch. Yeah, that one hurt. Uh, and he also, they used him in both the receiving game and the running game, which kind of hurt the Jags because I think he had like 80 total yards in that and then Hunt had a touchdown too. So they know how to do the screen game against <laughs> the Jaguars, don't they? Because I hate they've watched screen. film. I hate that word. <laughs> I know, I know. It's it's painful uh, as far as the Jaguars defense is concerned. All right, and then defensively, I went with Darius Williams, who ended up with a pick, so pretty good on that. Uh, Mia, you had Rayshon Jenkins. I think he had a much better game than he did against the Bengals. And he obviously got banged up towards the end too, yeah. so that'll be an injury to, to follow as well. Yeah. yeah. J.J. All had Trayvon Walker because he does every week. Uh, some point in time, he's going to, I know, have like a multi-sack he game. He was close. He was I, very close, absolutely. Multiple times. Yeah. yeah. He officially was credited with three pressures, but I, I know for a fact Josh Allen got held a couple of times, and so I would imagine that Trayvon Walker received similar. Uh, and Miles Garrett complained after the game that he was being he was held. held uh, speaking of Miles Garrett, that would held. be. Exactly. That would be Taylor's uh, defensive player for yeah. the Browns. No surprise there. Yeah. I mean, he. He, he is definitely affected is. the game. Yeah, and he didn't get a sack, but he had three QB hits. He was around Trevor several times, obviously, causing some th- him to force some throws and stuff like that. So but that's just who Miles is. It's what you expect from him. Absolutely. I was trying to stop it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I'm going to try and play a reverse jinx on a, a team when we come back, by the way. Or not when we come back, but in 7 o'clock, 7, when we have our bell ringers brought to you by Bellwether. All right, so now we're going to pick our impact players going up against the Ravens. My guy on offense is going to be Parker Washington, the rookie, uh, because of the fact that slot receivers have done pretty well against the Ravens, including mm-hmm. this past week against the Rams. Even though the Rams ended up losing, they certainly came close. So I'm going to go with Parker Washington on offense. Mia, who you got? Evan Ingram. That's simple. He's yeah. the, he's their most reliable Absolutely. playmaker on offense at this juncture. 11 catches on 12 targets. I think he will challenge Jimmy Smith's single season receptions record for this franchise by season's end at 116. He came into the game with 73. He had 11 catches. I mean, I, I think all bets are on the table when it comes to that because he is the one guy that is where he's supposed to be and catches the ball. So let's hope he does that again on Sunday night. Absolutely. JJ, who you got on offense? Calvin Ridley. Ah, there you go. 
Yeah, I think uh, a lot of the Jaguars angst, uh, Jaguars fans angst went to Calvin over the weekend because or on Sunday because of the fact that it looked like he was running the wrong route and that was one of the interceptions. And there are other times that it feels like he just doesn't know where to be. Not like he was just running on that play. He wasn't even trying to catch the ball. Nine of 27. That's how many catches on how many targets between Calvin Ridley and Zay Jones. Everybody else, Trevor Lawrence was 19 of 22. So just file that away. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, I think there was pass interference on Zay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? Or at the, least the, the defensive pole. holding. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so that wasn't called. That one we'll give him. Yeah. So, like, it, the stats and – but, again, yeah, I, I like that pick, JJ. Calvin Ridley needs to have a much better game on Sunday against the Ravens. All right, and then defensively for me, I'm going to go Foye Luikan. He plays well every week, but I think especially this week it's incredibly important because Lamar Jackson is a yeah. mobile quarterback. Mia, who you got on defense? For that reason, I'm going outside the box. I'm picking Andrew Dewey Wingard. We saw a ton of the three safety look the last time the Baltimore Ravens came to Duval. I would expect much of the same, although as I pick Dewey Wingard, I can't help but feel like Antonio Johnson's play on Sunday earned him some more reps. I am just curious if that will be at a nickel position or if he will be that third safety. Yeah, and like you said, Rayshon got banged up. Is mm-hmm. there a possibility that Antonio has to go in for him? We shall see. I thought Antonio played pretty well, too. Uh, JJ, who you got on defense? Oh, I d- I, why did I even ask? It's because, Trayvon. It's because <laughs> just normal to ask. It's just normal, yeah. It's just my <laughs> polite way of being asking these questions. And Taylor, who you got for the Ravens? Okay, so offensively, Lamar, obviously the mobility side of that, being able to run and throw is dangerous. Uh, and then defensively, I'm going to say Roquan Smith. Uh, Roquan's just all over the Your place. old bear. I know. Um, all over the place, but he has the fourth most tackles just behind Foyer. And uh, one and a half sacks, 65 tackles for loss, six passes defended, a forced fumble. But in addition to that, I just think he's such a big, like he's such an anchor for this Ravens defense who has only allowed four rushing touchdowns all season and they have 49 sacks leading the league. So it's just, he's he's definitely that final puzzle piece that they needed to kind of tie everything together. And so I feel like if you can contain Roguan at all, it'll help you. Yes, absolutely. All right, we will go around the NFL when we come back, and we also have something to give away, so keep it right here on 1010XL 92.5 FM. Stilettos and Sabermetrics. Helmets and heels, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. 1010XL is always here to hook you up for the holidays. So right now, be clown number four, 641-1010, clown number four, 641-1010, and you will win a $25 gift card to Superior Fireworks. Brought to you by our 1010XL holiday gift guide. Head to 1010XL.com for more great gift ideas. All right, Taylor, what you got for us around the NFL? Well, we have some wild things, ladies. <laughs> some, <laughs> some wild, wild things. Well, first things. of all, we had six of eight division leaders outright lose on yeah. uh, in week 14. Lost, so. an, lost another quarterback. I don't know if there's been this many or ever a year where this many, not even just quarterbacks, but like big name players for teams have sure. gone out for like the season. Yeah, and especially like you said, like big name. Like yeah. Aaron Rodgers going to the Jets was the entire, felt like off-season chatter yeah. for some of the biggest, you know, national media stations and then platforms. And then to lose him week one, yeah. like that was right insane. Away. And I do wonder, you're talking about, I'm sure, Justin Herbert with the Chargers. Yeah. I but wonder Herbert, if Deshaun, Joe, I mean, even go back to Anthony Richardson, who was, they just drafted, sure. they spent a draft pick on him high. He's yeah, out. That's like, a good point. I wonder with the Chargers, if they had been in playoff contention, 
I wonder if he would have found a way to play. To stay, yeah. But knowing where they were, yeah. I feel like they made the decision because it was easy at that point. Like, we're not making the postseason. Yeah. There's no Why reason risk to this? exactly yeah. have yeah, further damage. Yeah. So that is obviously one of the bigger storylines is in- injuries and quarterback injuries. But I think that we just – I want to take a look at some of the things that maybe have shown from this last week of the NFL. We, talk, uh, we know the Jags lost, but luckily the Texans and Colts also lost too. So that helped because that would have obviously put even a little more strain on things. Texans also uh, concussion protocol for C.J. Stroud, too. Mm-hmm. And they were but without both wide receivers. So we'll see. That's a little bit of a, a lot of question mark for them. But there's six teams right now in the AFC with seven and six records. Uh, Steelers, Colts, Texans, Broncos, Bengals, and Bills. So all of these teams are right there behind the Jags looking for their spot if the Jags don't clinch their division. And that's just simple. That's facts. Mm-hmm. I feel like the Jags are so much better than them. They just haven't had the rough to show it. And so I, I just wanted to take a look at maybe some of the things that had been highlighted from this last week with some of those teams. Um, but first, I wanted to go to Baltimore because obviously playing the Ravens, I wanted to take a little look at what the what this is from CBS Sports, what they said they have learned recently from the Ravens. So we mentioned Mark Andrews not playing, but their backup tight end, Isaiah Likely, it, uh, people are getting very high on him. Mm-hmm. Um, so they just said Isaiah Likely getting job done for Mark Andrews. Every Ravens pass catcher has stepped up since Andrews was well, – Andrews was likely lost for the season, but likely has played well at tight end. He was targeted a season high seven times, which also recording a season high five catches for 83 yards and a touchdown. He was wide open on a 54-yard touchdown for Baltimore's first score of the game, a play that freed up the wideouts in the second half. The Ravens are finding out likely can play also. So is that concerning to you at all when you're coming up to this weekend? Yeah, because the tight ends historically (laughs) in uh, – Historically and recently. Recently (laughs) against the Jaguars uh, tend to feast. Uh, We literally saw David Njoku, who is a very different player than Isaiah Likely, who is much more in the mold of Evan Ingram and more of a flex. Um, Like like the Jaguars up for two touchdowns on, you know, limited catches. It wasn't like he had the 11 catches that Evan Ingram had either. Um, And so – I think that the Patriots do a or the page. Wow, the Patriots. I was just reading an article, which we'll get to in a second, because I think that may be involved in your around the NFL. I think the Ravens do a great job of finding mismatches, mm-hmm. um, and, and I think that's where if he hasn't already, Doug Peterson needs to step in and make sure that the Jaguars are putting their f- best foot forward and doing the same, especially at that tight end position where Evan Ingram is such a mismatch. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that part of it with likely too is that you are. You're seeing, I think he would have even more production akin to Mark Andrews, if Mm -hmm. not for the fact that they have finally actually fortified that wide receiver room for the Ravens. I think that that's critical. And there's several of them that are playing really well, and that's what's also scary because it's one of the teams that you're not just like, hey, we have to worry about X tight end or X wide receiver. You're having to worry about multiple weapons in addition to Lamar Jackson being able to run right and and look at what the Bengals did with their weapons mm-hmm. right like I, I don't think it, it mattered who played quarterback that day as long as you get the ball to Jamar Chase yep. and T Higgins and as long as Joe Mixon runs well right like it, if a team is smart and and obviously Todd Munkin the offensive coordinator for the Ravens is that's what you do you get the ball to the weapons and yeah. of course like you just mentioned Lamar Jackson is also one of those weapons and it's not that he's just a mobile quarterback I know that's more of what we kind of focused on when he first came into the league and I watched him in person when I saw Louisville at the Gator Bowl several years ago now and he threw five interceptions that day yeah right so I was like oh he's never going to be good well there's lots of quarterbacks who prove and other types of players too who prove you wrong once they get into the league and and he's certainly one of them 
And now what he's doing through the air is even way more impressive than what he can do on the ground, too. And that's, I think, one of the reasons he stayed healthy. Definitely, because the combination makes it lethal because you have to plan around both aspects of a quarterback. And that's really hard, Um, which is also an interesting thing because we talked about the injuries of the quarterbacks this year. And the majority of them are not the mobile quarterbacks that are getting hurt, which has been the storyline surrounding why you don't want mobile quarterbacks. Um, So that kind of is tested this year a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that there's one reason for it because all these injuries are so different, yeah. right? Like, well, that's what I'm saying. Usually shoulder. it's so hammered, like, oh, the mobile quarterbacks aren't right. going to make it because they're going to get hurt. And it right. looks like it's a lot of the ones that can are more of throwers okay, outside yeah. of Anthony Richardson and Daniel Jones, maybe. Yeah, mm-hmm. more but, of the pocket passers. Yeah. Are, yeah, I, I think it's – you couldn't replicate it even if you tried. Yeah. I think it's just kind of a lot of different things falling into place akin to the parity in the NFL this year. But if you had told me that Lamar Jackson, which knock on wood, electric player, I love watching him, except against the Jaguars. Um, (laughs) If you had told me that he has remained healthy through 14 weeks of the season and he's not on that list, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'd be shocked if you told me that 14 weeks ago. Uh, So let's look at maybe the division because there's multiple concerns. I mentioned Texans and Colts right there behind the Jaguars. uh, Both lost this last weekend. But uh, what they say about the Texans right now, Clearly, the offense missed Tank Dell and Nico Collins, and I mentioned two wide receivers. We saw what they are able to do even in the even in the win over them. But it says both of the Texans' top wideouts were out on Sunday with injuries. Collins left mid-game with a calf injury, leaving the offense struggling to throw the ball when C.J. Stroud was on the field or not. Brevin Jordan was the leading receiver with three catches for 35 yards. Collins, uh, and then so they had. Robert Woods had one catch for negative two yards. Waddell lost for the season. Collins needs to get healthy soon if the Texans are going to have a chance for the playoffs. And I think that pretty much says it. Well, C.J. Stroud also has to get healthy. Healthy, yeah. yeah. He had concussion protocol. We'll right find now. out more, I think, tomorrow with once the injury reports come out uh, from each team. But, it, yeah, it depends on— It didn't on, look pretty. No, it didn't. And Collins, I mean, that may not be just a, a week-to-week type thing either. So, it— the Jaguars are not. That's the the other thing to say to people. The Jaguars are not the only team that Battle has injuries. yeah massive injuries. And to go back to the quarterback conversation, you better have a good backup quarterback in yeah. this league because you might lose your quarterback for a while. You might lose him for a game. You might lose him for the season. Yeah, and it, that's showing all over the league right now. So bounce over to the Colts. Uh, run game disappeared against one of the league's worst run defenses. The ba- the Bengals into- entered week 14, but we heard this against the Jags too. Mm-hmm. Bengals entered week 14, ranked 27th in rush rushing yards per game, uh, yet the Colts could only muster 46 yards against the unit. Jonathan Taylor wasn't available, so Zach Moss only had 13 carries for 28 yards. Trey Sermon also played, only getting three carries for 13 yards, 2.6 yards per carry against the Bengals. Um, and then it just said, which contributed to the offense being non-existent on third down, three of eleven in the uh, three of eleven and four, one of two in the red zone. So it Colts obviously have their. I think Colts have been super surprising to most people. Most people, I don't think, would have them at seven and six right now if you were looking in the beginning of the season. Yeah, four game win streak with Gardner Minshew until this past weekend against the Bengals. I mean, not that the, there's anything wrong with Gardner Minshew, but you just wouldn't expect that. Yeah. But the Colts have had a little bit easier of a schedule, yeah. and so we'll see what happens over the next four. Yeah, by virtue of having the fourth pick in the draft. Correct. Obviously then have yeah. the fourth easiest schedule. Um, I think their defense is criminally underrated, but I think they were exposed against the Bengals, and yeah. I think that should give Jaguar fans comfort that it wasn't just them. Right. That Jake Browning decided to lay a 30-burger on. Mm-hmm. That's a good Colts defense that was getting a ton of publicity mm-hmm. the week before. Uh, Jonathan Taylor could not go in that game as much as Zach Moss succeeded in the early part of the season before Taylor was activated. Uh, he went MIA. Yeah. 
I would expect them to come up with some sort of game plan if Taylor can't go again this weekend against the Steelers because um, we know that Steelers defense is like the one thing that's keeping everything together held by, you know, duct tape and some paper clips in <laughs> Pittsburgh. And the, the other thing Popsicle about the, sticks. <laughs> yeah, the, the other thing like is whenever we look at the future schedules. So for the Colts, they've got the Steelers at home at the Falcons, Raiders at home, and then Texans at home to finish the season. Like some people would look at that and go, okay, well, the Steelers aren't, Steelers aren't great. So the Colts will win. At the Falcons, okay, maybe not. Raiders, yeah, that's a win. And Texans, who knows? Like, you have absolutely no idea in predicting these this types year, of things no this way. year. So, like, you can't look at the schedule and be like, yep, that's a that's a." Again, going back to the Jaguars schedule, like, the only one I feel very confident in is the Panthers, but you still can't be 100% sure. Can I read for you, um, since I, I do want to touch on yeah, this, as we go around the league, Tom E. Curran, who's one of the big uh, – Boston sports pundits and analysts and obviously covers the New England Patriots better than a lot of people in the country um, of NBC Sports Boston is reporting that the decision about Bill Belichick's future has already been made by team owner Robert Kraft. We'll get to that in a second because more entertaining for me than even that is the fifth most trending story on Boston.com, which is the Patriots are going to beat the Chiefs this weekend and you are going to hate it. Oh, so (laughs) thoughts. Thoughts. Well, I know that's not where you I thought would, this conversation was going. I would not hate the Patriots no. beating the Chiefs in I any think, way, shape, or form. I think, honestly, right now with all of the stuff that just happened with the Patriots and Mahomes and all of that stuff, most people would be like, okay. And maybe, for the course. maybe a year ago, you they were still heavily cheering for the Patriots to just keep losing, but they've had some major struggles this year and maybe setting the Chiefs into like another a back-to-back L. It might be kind of fun. I think, no, they're yeah. saying It's a Boston website. They're saying they want to lose. Oh, the, they're saying oh, they want to lose. Yeah. Oh, oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha, yeah. I mean, we've been there. Yeah. I, in 2020. Definitely have been there. Didn't want to win a game the rest of that season, so I understand. And, and I remember people being like, you absolutely can't cheer for your team to lose. Like, yes, I can. <laughs> and you see it now with the franchise quarterback. Especially when you know it's uh, there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, uh, the long and winding rainbow that's not so bright. Um, but yes, back to the. Well, they're definitely staring. They want a quarterback, and I get right. that. That's what you sure. have to do to get one, one of those. Correct, <laughs> correct. As opposed to getting lost in that purgatory, which I think the Giants, the Commanders, the Raiders—they're all Vikings. They're all kind of finding themselves in that territory because they are fringe potentially in the hunt for a playoff spot. Here is the quote from Curran: um, When the Patriots came out of the 10-6 loss to the Colts on November 12th in Germany. Conversations I had that week made it very clear that a decision was made by Robert Kraft. They were going to play out the string, and at the end of the year, they would be parting ways for a variety of reasons. Curran noted that an in-season firing was highly unlikely and that Belichick, reportedly under contract for one more year after 2023, remains a piece the Patriots could deal away. Interesting. Thoughts? I mean, it's so hard for me to sit. I don't know. That one's hard for me. Honestly, I, I think that I, I think we relate to it and you get it and you understand. Um, but I think there's pieces of it with the Patriots that they always you feel like they find a way usually. And so I feel like their mindset for a lot of things when they're looking at their future is different than other teams have lo- had to look at it. Yeah. I mean, I think if you were a Patriots fan, what would you want? Yeah, that, that's the that's the way I always try to look at it through the lens of, of the fan base. And they I have mean, to be wanting a quarterback. To, that's what I would think. And it, is that with Bill Belichick? Is that not? I mean, if I'm a Patriots fan, it might be thank you for your services, yeah. but not all relationships are meant to last forever. Yeah. Or are they saying, hey, you know, they haven't had a quarterback and Bill's still the guy. He's just been given un, un, 
quarterback-like <laughs> talent there. Right. But at the same time, he's he had made a weird, lot of bad decisions yeah. the last couple seasons. And when it comes to, obviously, the offensive coordinator, the offensive coordinator last year, or lack thereof. Lack thereof. And then even this last offseason, when it came to, they had one quarterback on their roster at one point, and everyone was like, what are you doing? This doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So maybe they're starting to get a little frustrated of, like, that. there comes an end to everything. And are they approaching that? And they'd is, rather end it now yeah. than try to risk it again and further risk tarnishing his legacy. Yeah, and then it just completely is shattered by the time it's you're actually parting ways. Hayes said last year that he thought that the Chargers should fire Brandon Staley and that Bill Belichick should leave the Patriots to go coach Justin Herbert and the rest of the mm-hmm. weapons that they have. I and, remember Hayes saying that. Yeah, and it, now the, the closer we get to possibly, I would assume, the end of Brandon Staley's career – uh, with the Chargers and poten- potentially the end of Bill Butler. You wonder if that's where it's going to land and if he was just, you know, a year too early. And you yeah. also wonder with Mike Vrabel and the Titans gutting out a win last night, is he actually, because I've speculated and I know other people have too, especially after he was inducted in, inducted into the Patriots ring of honor earlier this year and he was in the booth up in the suite with Robert Kraft, the move of they relieve Bill Belichick of his duties and they trade for Vrabel. I mean, does last night's results say maybe that's further from the truth because maybe Vrabel is invested in the rebuild with Will Levis and says, hey, maybe I have a better chance of winning here than completely starting fresh in a new starting point, even if it is where I made my living as a player. If it's me, I wait to see. I mean, another four-game sample size would be much more helpful with Levis, but it, I don't... I don't like the idea of a coach leaving a team currently employed and going to another NFL team. Yeah. I understand why it happens in college football, but I don't love it in the, in the NFL. NFL. But you know what? We shall see. Uh, the dominoes will fall as they may. Around here, we don't have to focus on drafting a quarterback. We just have to focus on winning the division. Our bell ringers brought to you by Bellwether are next. You're listening to Homes and Heels, driven by Tyrell on 10 to next on 2.5 FM. Stilettos and Sabermetrics. Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. Taylor Dahl is here. Mia O'Brien, JJ Salva. I am Lauren Brooks. You are listening to Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet. We are with you until 8 o'clock. And then Rick Ballou takes over for Into the Night with Rick Ballou. Little ACDC. I like that on a Tuesday night. All right, it is time now for our bell ringers. They are brought to you by Bellwether, where Timeless American Fair takes a modern turn located downtown on West Forsyth Street. JJ, take it away. Bronny James with a LeBron-like block on his first play in his first college game at USC. Hornery pass inside, taken away. Hornery should have looked opposite wing on that one. the best chase down block guy in the history of the world. Ronnie with a bit of a chase down there. Tylen Wallace's return punt for a touchdown in overtime as Ravens beat the Rams. Ethan Evans, the punt, Ravens set to get good field position here. Tylen Wallace from the 25. Tylen Wallace breaks out of a tackle, takes it down the sideline. He stays in bounds. He stays on his feet. He takes it all the way. Former Gator Jervon Dexter records his first career sack on Jared Goff as Bears upset Lions 28-13. 
Goff under pressure and he's wrapped up and brought down. It is Jervon Dexter Sr. It is the first NFL sack for the rookie out of Florida. No, the Jervon Dexter was not my play, even though he did <laughs> attend the University of Florida like me. That was Taylor Dahl's play. Mia had the college basketball play with Bronny James, and I went with reverse jinx with the Ravens. Punt return mm, oh. for a touchdown in overtime, hoping that that just causes them all sorts of issues on special teams, especially this upcoming weekend. I want to start, though, Mia, with Bronny James. So he's fully healthy back to normal? He is fully healthy back to normal, obviously. That's great. It'll be a process in terms of uh, minute management by the USC training staff Mm -hmm. as he does return from going into sudden cardiac arrest over the summer. Um, Obviously, as we've documented on this program a lot, I work with who we play for, the nonprofit that works to um, not only bring awareness to sudden cardiac arrest and that it's the number one killer of youth athletes, um, but getting ECG screenings more readily available, making it part of a school sports physical here in the state of Florida, um, as well as ensuring, which they already have, that CPR, a CPR class is mandatory for graduation in public high schools in the state of Florida. Bronny James was found after going to visit the Mayo Clinic, not here in Jacksonville, but up in Rochester, Minnesota, to have had uh, a pre-existing heart condition that if he had just had an ECG screening when he was in high school, they would have identified it, and then they would have been able to put a pacemaker or whatever they needed to ahead of time. Thankfully, the training staff at USC was there. He was resuscitated. Because of that, his return to play was a slow process, but obviously it's great to see him on the court, and I think it says something for the long term between obviously what happened with DeMar Hamlin back in January, but also a little bit closer to home. Keontae Johnson's on a two-way contract in the NBA right now and went to the Elite Eight last year, unfortunately not as a member of the Gators, but as a member of Mm K-State. And I think that it says something about where the medicine and the the science part of this is headed, which is so huge. But obviously something like Bronny James' situation could have been prevented if it had been caught earlier. And so just great to see. And obviously the parallels between block by James and block by Bronny, like – and LeBron's in the front row. Like it was just such a cool moment. And, you know, there will be those that say Bronny James is blessed because of who his father is and the fact that they could fly to the Mayo Clinic and have this looked at. And I 100% agree with that. But from everybody who I've talked to in the college basketball world, even if you take this crazy, you know, last few months out of it, he is not as naturally gifted as his father is in terms of athleticism. Mm -hmm. When he was named a McDonald's All-American, like people said, that's not just because he's LeBron's kid and they want LeBron at the game. He had to work for it. Like his sophomore year, he was very much outside the top 100 in players in his class. But there was a cognizant effort by Bronny James to be like, no, I'm going to be one of the 30 best in my class. And he did. And so obviously he attacked this rehab with the same vigor. And obviously it's great to see. Absolutely. And it's good to see him healthy for sure. Cause mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if he'd be able to play college basketball mm-hmm. once that incident happened. Taylor, your bears won. Yes. It is won. victory Big Tuesday back for the bears. Back, baby. <laughs> That's right. They technically should have four straight cause they blew the last three minutes of the Lions game in between that. But yeah, uh, Javon Dexter was the highlighted player in that he got his first sack of the season. He's been, has a ton of pressures, ton of QB hits, just hadn't quite got to the quarterback yet. And it was funny because I did a a Bears-Lions preview on Thursday before the game, and they did, like, big prediction of your game. And I was like, "Uh, I'm going to say Javon Dexter gets his first sack this weekend. So it was perfect because I was like, yes, I nailed it. And it always feels good to have those little things. But it's also just fun to see him because 
he's been just right there so close so many times and uh it was on a it was on a third and 10 play towards the end of the game when the Lions were trying to drive down and potentially go up on the Bears before the Bears took the bigger lead uh so it was really fun to see that and obviously close to home here for so many Gator fans because Dexter's playing really well in the NFL so and they don't have much else to cheer about when it comes (laughs) to Gator Nation at the moment but you know what uh, that could always change next season. Uh, we shall see. Uh, all right. And then, I loved your play, though. Uh, thanks. Yeah, I mean, I would have liked it, it, honestly, instead almost to be the Rams having the punt oh. return for the touchdown in overtime against the Ravens to win. But then you wonder, are the Ravens angry, yeah. you know, because they lost the Rams? Like, well, they used their little bit of magic last and week. And that's <laughs> what I'm hoping. Uh, although it's not like the Jaguars have been successful in close yeah. games or overtime in the last couple. Yeah. But hopefully, I mean, normally I would say like Jamal Agnew can be someone for this Jaguars team that on Sunday night could really provide that spark. But he hasn't been able to play, obviously, due to injury. And so for the Ravens, yes, DuVernay is, is injured. But Tylen Wallace showed yeah. he has what it takes. And I'm sure you all saw that play multiple times. It was it wild. Is incredible. It really is. And of course, like right away, he's like, there are no flags. And it's like, how is that possible? Was, you're waiting. You're waiting. They're yes, like, there there's has to always be one a flag for block in the back <laughs> I know. on the return team. Always. Yeah. And, uh, and that yeah. one, the way he spun to break I one know. tackle, then trips and like almost falls in another time. So there's so many moments in that where you're like, oh, no, not here. Then you're waiting for the flag. And then he trips and then he gets in kind of like, <laughs> Front flip. He kind of stole Evan Ingram's, you know. Yeah, the little like roll. I don't know yeah. what to call it. It's somersault. like a roll flip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, somersault flip almost. Yeah. yeah. It was it was an incredible play. Like you said, that's what I'm hoping. I was trying to do a reverse jinx. They have no more magic left. And of course, the Jaguars needed a little magic a year ago to I'll beat the I'll take one of those. So <laughs> I will take, one. yeah, I will take one of those. I guess that that'll be Parker Washington <laughs> if it's a punt return. It'll be, uh, I assume... Uh, Dearness Johnson, if it's a kick return, that's how they've been doing it. Uh, we shall see. Depends on his health, I suppose, as well. All right. And then, Mia, I thought for sure Tommy DeVito would be your bell ringer, brought to you by Bellwether as always. But he was not. I tried to be prepared, and I sent Taylor the Bronny <laughs> James yesterday before I forgot, since I knew I'd be running around a little bit today. Um, but, yes, Tommy DeVito, my <laughs> favorite it. proverbial media darling, although – you can't deny he played well last night. The, th- the touchdown throw to Isaiah Hodgins is on like an absolute rope. Yeah. Like that's not an easy throw to make on the move. <clears throat> Excuse me. You can also give credit to Brian Dayball and company for saying the same game plan we attacked you with across the pond last year with Daniel Jones running and being a yeah. threat. Mm-hmm. We're going to do it again, but with Tommy, yeah. um, who you didn't even know could run. And guess what? He can scoot. And so we're going to use that to our advantage. Taylor said to me that she actually felt like Saquon Barkley looked a step slower. I felt that watching, sorry, Derrick Henry last night, um, especially in the first half of that game against the Dolphins. I didn't feel it as much with Saquon, but obviously he's the face of the franchise with all mm-hmm. due respect to Tommy DeVito and his 10 minutes of fame right now. Um, and and the fumble was inexplicable. Yeah. I mean, it was like That's a, something you usually do not see from him. Of all the dramatic things, um, in the words of Susan Wallman, um, and so it was something you don't see. And the fact that people joked online after the Packers scored with a minute 30 to go. Here comes Tommy. <laughs> Too much time for Tommy DeVito. And everyone's like saying it. But you're like, there ain't no way. The oh, way I was, was cheering, obviously, against the Packers and sitting in my bed, literally doing the like Italian hand <laughs> gesture that Tommy <laughs> DeVito does, like hoping that it would bring good luck and that it ended up working. I was like, 
Tommy, I love you. Thank you so much. But another guy we were talking about earlier, Mia, Wandale Robinson, he he made yeah. some catches last night that I was like, this guy is going to be good. And obviously he only played six games last year due to injury, his yeah. rookie season. I got to see him in the Citrus Bowl uh, two years ago now. Dude's electric. And part of why Will Levis, I think, struggled so much his final year at Kentucky was he didn't have happen. a Wandale, yeah. like, quite frankly. like I mean, he was easily, with all due respect to – uh, Luke Fortner and Will Levis, mm-hmm. Wondell Robinson was the most valuable player on that 2021-2022 Kentucky team. Yeah. And so, and I'm glad it's coming to fruition because for the Giants to have success because the quarterback position is such a question mark and now they're one game back of a wild card spot, but it's like, well, is that actually a good thing if Daniel Jones <laughs> isn't your long-term answer and Tommy DeVito is probably not your long-term answer? Then you need to have elite skill players and an actual offensive line, which to their credit, and this is where, you know, maybe you, you kind of look around and you're like, what are we doing here, Jags? Yeah. Justin Pugh, straight off the couch, baby. Yeah. He looked pretty good last night against a Packers front that's supposed to be pretty good. So the Giants have these four left at the Saints, at the Eagles, Rams at home, at the – or sorry, at home against the Eagles. So oh, they haven't played the Eagles yet. yet. <laughs> they played them two out of the last four. Which Thankfully we they see... don't play them next week, though, because the Eagles, you know, are going to be out for blood. Oh, yeah. yes, for After sure. that terrible game. But, yeah, so we'll see. I mean – I think too winnable, but again, like I just said in the last segment, just because you think it's winnable now does not necessarily mean that. But yeah, I think in watching the Manning cast talk about Tommy DeVito's agent, like yeah. that was really funny. And I never it watched that all show felt like live. like a skit at moments. It's, yes. Yeah. The agent looked <laughs> yeah. like, I watched The Sopranos, the, yeah. the series, like the agent looked like he came straight yeah. off of The Sopranos uh, TV set. Uh, but I think at the end of the day... It's so hard when you have these backup quarterbacks shine in moments mm-hmm. because you have to figure out if they're the guy or not. And yeah. I think, you know, the Colts already have Anthony Richardson, so Gardner Minshew is not their long-term solution. The Bengals already have Joe Burrow. Jake Brandon's not, Browning is not their long-term solution. The Vikings, I think, have no idea what their long-term yeah. solution is going to be. The Giants, why not? You know, yeah. see what you got in this kid. And, and we'll, I mean, I think had he never said that he lives at home and his mom makes his bed. And, and he, they make chicken cutlets. Chicken cutlets, yeah. Had he never said that, I wonder if the legend is still the way that it is. But the way that, th- that's how his fame, you know, began yeah. was mm-hmm. with those statements. So then everyone's like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> what is and now happening? that he has success, in spite of all that, like, it's like, okay, we have to pay attention now. Well, the amount of, like, tweets and uh, social interactions of when it was first announced that Tommy DeVito was going to be starting for the Giants. And I remember everyone just being like, hold on, is this real? A DeVito? <laughs> and then with how awful his first game action yeah. came, like, I mean, like what? He completed like three passes. <laughs> and now we're in, a, we're now living in a reality in no, which he was the 17 of 21 <laughs> for almost 200 yards. He ran for almost a hundred more and they beat the Packers. Oh, I love it. Yeah. In his First action, he, well, the first game he ever played was against the Jets. He has minus one passing yards. So right. He didn't play much at all. <laughs> no, he did. He played the whole second half. Against the Jets? Yes. And he, and he literally threw for negative one yards. They were like running Ooh. the ball. Oh, my God. It was awful. You got to go back to it. It was absurd. I will not go back to that. <laughs> I will not rewatch that. I only rewatch good football, as a matter of fact. Uh, and the last thing I wanted to get to as far as quarterbacks are concerned do we feel like Mahomes is only apologizing because he's now seen him his own histrionics on television a million times and he realize how realizes how bad he looks and he also kind of wants to avoid a fine? Like He obviously felt the way he did about the officials. Two yeah. weeks in a row he felt like that and I think it really came to a head this past 
week and the loss to the Bills? Or do we think like he really feels bad that he he had this drama? I I genuinely think he probably is sorry because he saw how much how crazy he looked in that moment. Not technically, I do think he was mad. I mean, he, even Curious. though it was weird, yeah. Kadarius was a mile past, a mile off sides, <laughs> but he was upset, and you could, I think he truly felt that. But I also feel he's probably gone back and seen. And when you think about, we all have those reactions. Sometimes we're later, we go back and we're like, ugh, that was a overreaction. Not my best moment. Yeah. yeah, and I'm sure he feels like that. I think it was because he's yelled at Kadarius Tony for lining up offsides enough, and he just needs another outlet to <laughs> express his frustration, um, not just for Tony and his various penalties he's incurred since he got to Kansas yeah. City. And dropped passes. But also for that wide receiver core as a whole. Yeah. I think he just needed a scapegoat. He needed to blow off some steam, and he decided to take it out on the referees. Um, that was it, Urban's guy, Kadarius. Yeah. Let's <laughs> never forget. Been there, done that, Patty. Uh, trust me. A lot of uh, a lot of youth referees in uh, central New Jersey don't like me still to this day. So uh, sometimes you just need an outlet, and they're there, and you just you let it out into them instead. So I think next time he'll go into the locker room and then lose yeah. his crap. Well, but then he was, like, still upset at the podium and was, like, almost near tears and was, like, that play Talking about Kelsey's would legacy. Have added I was to like, what's Kelsey's happening? Hall of Fame legacy. <laughs> like, what are you like? There is like legally in the NFL. I'm not sure if people know this. Mm. Like, there is a legal 10 minute cool down period, and usually it takes you like you know five to six minutes to get into the locker room. And even then, they usually give it a little bit more time of like, hey, like speech, 10 minute cool down. Now the media can come in. It's like now, 20, 25 minutes. Now like we'll it. now for the quarterback. Like you could shower first, and then we'll bring you to the podium. He yeah, had like, you can tell Trevor always showers. His hair's wet. Right. Yeah. Mahomes had like 25 to 30 minutes to cool down, and he did not cool down even after the shower. Did you see the presser with Chris Jones where the whole yes. ceiling falls down to? I was like, this is not a good sign in Kansas City. Yeah, it reminded me of the time that Chris Weimer accidentally hit Tiger Woods in the face oh, with the God. microphone. Oh <laughs> For some reason, that just occurred to me like, oh, oh, not, we don't want that to have happen. Uh, by the way, Lauren, so yes. Tommy DeVito, his first game action, he gets thrust into and in that loss to the Jets, which was regarded as like the ugliest game of the season, if you remember, because like it was 13-10, it was overtime, it was just awful. He was two of seven. He played almost the entire second half and overtime. Two of seven for negative one yards. <laughs> He had four rushing attempts for 12 yards, and he handed the ball off to Saquon. Um, it had to have been about 30 times. Uh, it actually was. Wait for it. Wait for it. Saquon, where are you in my – here he is. Uh, 36 times. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I would have got a guess go. over 30 if he only attempted go. seven passes <laughs> in an entire second half. All right, we will get it to college football. There's a Heisman Trophy winner. Do we agree with the decision? You are listening to Helmets and Heels, driven by Tarlett on 10 XL 92.5 FM. Stilettos and Sabermetrics. Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. All right, on Saturday night, Jaden Daniels of LSU, the quarterback with prolific numbers, was named the Heisman Trophy winner. I have to say, I watched him a lot this season. That is who I would have voted for. Mm -hmm. What say you, Mia? I would as well. Um, I'm actually very glad that the Heisman voters got it right, in my opinion. I do think if Bo Nix and Oregon had won the Pac-12 title game, this would have been a lot more competitive. But once that didn't... Yeah, he might have won it. Yeah. Right. Once that yeah. wasn't in the cards, um, I think that there was no other option but Jaden Daniels, which credit to the Heisman voters because this is only the third time in the college football playoff era that a player who was not playing in the playoff 
actually was named the Heisman Trophy winner. The Mm -hmm. other two previous being uh, Caleb Williams one year ago and Lamar Jackson uh, back when he was at Louisville, which Jaden Daniels is the first quarterback slash Heisman Trophy winner since Lamar in which his team has lost three games and he still managed to bring home the most coveted individual award in the sport. Look, statistically speaking, no one was better. And you can say all you want. Well, like, you know, he didn't elevate them to the point where they were in the playoff conversation. They were in the SEC championship game. The point is, is that he had a a defense that so severely underperformed that even his 600-yard total individual performance games couldn't overcome it. And so the fact that they had the record they did is a tribute to him. And I think, if anything, he made himself some money in the NFL, uh, not just with his play on the field, but now having the words Heisman attract the word Heisman attached to his name. Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at it statistically and with an eye test, both ways win with Jaden Daniels, and it's record after record he was breaking throughout the season, and that's with like Mia just said, a defense that was bad, um, and I feel like got worse throughout the season as it went on, and he just kept on going and even when put in bad situations was able to overcome those certain situations I mean he had 50 touched 50 touchdowns the most in FBS and I think I want to say it was like the fifth or sixth quarterback ever to do that um, and so when you're putting up things like that inconsistently throughout a, a whole season I'm I'm glad it was recognized because I feel like it would have been what would the conversation have been if it was not Jaden Daniels yeah and it- you know, we'll never know. Had Jordan Travis not gotten hurt, yeah. how much is he in play? And is it then because he's in the college, if, assuming Florida State would have beaten, yeah. obviously, North Alabama if he was healthy, and then Florida and then Louisville, uh, and I assume they would have because they did with backup quarterbacks. But then, yes, you have a quarterback who's in the college football playoff. Does that elevate him, even though the stats weren't necessarily there? But I think, like y'all said, I think the voters looked at everything, not mm-hmm. just the numbers, but they also watched him play and they watched the other guys play. And And I think if you were to take Bo Nix or Michael Penix and put them, I'm not going to say Jordan Travis, but and put those two guys on the LSU roster, does LSU win as many games? Yeah. Like, I don't think so. I no. think they literally won because of how dynamic of a player that he is. Now, Jordan Travis on the LSU team probably would have been about the same. Yeah. One of the numbers that really stood out uh, was that he had, so 12,000 in his five-year mm-hmm. college career. And when you're looking at this, obviously you're looking at his this year, but there's probably factors in that where they're like, he's this is what this player has been. It's the not just some fluke. Award. Yes. Yeah. And so he had 12,749 passing yards, 3,307 rushing yards. He's the first player in FBS history with 12,000 passing and 3,000 career rushing yards. I mean, that's just numbers where you can't, there's no denying what he was able to do. For me, the more interesting debate was who finished second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and not that we care about that, Mm -hmm. but that's what was more fascinating for me. I think Penix and Knicks were always on this collision course, especially when both their teams ran the table outside of when, you know, Oregon lost to Washington earlier in the year, got back to the Pac-12 title game. These two were always going to be in New York. For me, the fascinating one was who would be the fourth and or fourth and fifth if there had been five finalists to also get the invitation. In my opinion, Marvin Harrison Jr. is awesome. Mm -hmm. In terms of pure talent, he's probably the best player in college football this past year outside of Jaden Daniels, who I think what he did was phenomenal. And I don't know if a lot of people – you you just don't find Jaden Daniels walking around. Yeah. But – I just couldn't help but say, and like I, I do think the reason Ohio State was in a position to eventually potentially play for a Big Ten title game if they beat Michigan and then potentially go to the playoff, a lot of it was due to Marvin Harrison, mm-hmm. not the quarterback because we know Kyle McCord had his struggles. 
But I just couldn't help but think, and I know some people who work at 1010 have released their ballots and have admitted that Jalen Milrow and the performance he put on display over the last month and a half was not worthy of being in New York. Because for me right now, there is no one outside of Jaden Daniels playing better football in America. And then you couple that with this notion of, well, Florida State isn't in the playoff because they don't have Jordan Travis. So clearly Mm. Jordan Travis is that important to a team that was on the verge of making the playoff. And so not that I thought he would actually get an invitation to New York, but those were the two players that I was like, if you really want to, you know, cut it down to who means the most to their team and thus college football, Mm -hmm. I thought those two guys should also be in consideration. Yeah, I can understand that about Jalen Monroe for sure. Again, you're not going to give it to a player that gets hurt, unfortunately, in, in Travis. But, I mean, Milrow beat, who I think, the best team in college football in yeah. Georgia. And the fact that he was able to, I mean, his team overall, but the fact that he was able to play that well against Georgia uh, spoke volumes. So I wouldn't have been surprised if he had made it. But I think because Alabama lost so early in the season, he mm-hmm. was kind of taken off. And he didn't play well. He was benched, right? Yeah. And so, like, I think all of that people – Already in their minds were like, this kid is never, even though he played super well at the end of the season, they had already written him off. Yeah. And, and Marvin Harrison was somebody that preseason was being talked about and then continuously was talked about throughout the season. So you had this full aspect of wanting to watch Marvin Harrison every weekend already. Yeah. And imagine if Harrison had had a quarterback like Penix or Daniels Jayden, or yeah. Knicks, right? Like, could I you mean, imagine a Jaden Marvin, a Jaden Harrison? I mean, a Jaden Daniels Marvin Harrison connection. Right, that would have been fun. Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe you been. get one in New England. I don't know. And I was going to say, it's Maybe. possible it could happen in in the NFL. Or I mean, not Arizona because it sounds like they are going to stick with Kyler, but it's possible. And I think that's what was probable if Jaden Daniels hadn't reasserted himself into the national conversation pre-draft by winning the Heisman. And I think he's going to light up the combine as well Yeah, because there were a lot of people who like forgot about him. And so there was a chance that a team could take Marvin Harrison in the first five, 10 picks, either trade back into the first round, have a second pick or have a second round pick that they then spend on Jaden Daniels. And I've seen plenty of mock drafts that had the Patriots being that team. If you came away with both those two dudes, yeah. I'd be mighty happy, even if there's some growing pains initially. That's electric. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, Marvin Harrison could go as high as number one overall if the Bears don't want to take a quarterback. And then Jaden Daniels, now you're seeing some mocks have him in the top ten. So yeah. it, it would be challenging, but we shall see. We've seen crazier things happen like what the Texans did last year. Can I, real quick, can yeah. I ask one thing? Because yeah. one of the other things that stood out, because Caleb Williams last year, obviously, and then now Jaden Daniels, both transfer players, mm-hmm. I feel we're going to just keep seeing that now oh, yeah. probably because you're seeing these elite guys go to teams that are already kind of built Well, and we've seen it them. for a while too because Joe Burrow yeah. in, what, 2019 transfer yeah, from Ohio State to LSU. And and nowadays the likelihood of transfers is obviously in Five higher. of the last seven. Yeah. Five of the last That's seven, wild. yeah. because yeah, Well, so like Devonta Smith, he was not mm-hmm. a transfer for Alabama. I'm tra- who's the other one that wouldn't have been a transfer? Mm. I'll have, have to, to think look about it. Up. Kyler was. Me. Joe Burrow obviously was. Baker Mayfield was. Caleb Williams was. Yeah. Who was 2021? Was 20, I don't remember. 2022 was Caleb. I'm trying, how am I blanking? Who was the 20? That was 2020 year, and it was weird. Bryce Young. Oh, Bryce Young. Young. Oh, so yes, that's yes, the other yes, one. Yes. Yes. So it's both I mean, Alabamas. Both, yeah. Yeah. Both Bama guys. Bama's. Which 
makes Guys sense. Are, yeah. <laughs> I think what's fascinating Home too crime. to that point is like now the news that Dylan Gabriel is transferring to Oregon, kind of the hand-picked mm-hmm. successor now to Bo Nix. And in addition to seeing these elite programs opt for guys that have already played X amount of years of college football, which I think is a growing trend you will continue to see, you're also seeing these guys in the portal say, okay, if I want to put up numbers, if I want to put it put on a show for NFL, NFL scouts, if I want a chance at winning the Heisman, I got to go to one of the – to be coached by one of these guys that clearly has proven he could take a transfer in, mm-hmm. make offense the priority the way that Dan Lanning, despite being a defensive guy – has in Eugene, and then use that as a catapult to the National Football League. All right, we've got one segment to go here on Hamilton Heels, driven by Tyler. There was a very special announcement this morning. We'll tell you more about that when we return on 10 to next on 2.5 FM. Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. I don't care what his name is, girl, it is what it is. All right, you're listening to a little Cole Swindell, Georgia Southern guy. That's because he's coming. Wait, wait, wait. Not because of the Georgia Southern NIL concert, Lauren? Did you not see that? No. Oh, yes. In addition to, sorry to steal the thunder and and the punchline, uh, in addition to performing at the Players Military Appreciation Day this March, Cole Swindell is headlining an NIL benefit concert at his alma mater. Ooh, that's genius. Mm-hmm. Although they also have Luke Bryan, so I'm not sure, you know, who got chosen right. over the other. All I'm, I'm saying is... Uh, no, that's great. I know he's a big football fan. Yeah, like Gators, Knowles. I don't know who your, like, most famous musical alumni are, but, like, this could be revolutionary for certain yeah, schools. Absolutely. So the reason we're playing Cole Swindell, not just because of Georgia Southern's NIL concert but that's because he is going to play the military appreciation concert at the players in 2024 in march so super excited about that cole swindell played the gator bowl used to do a concert every year Mm -hmm. and in 2018 their concert that year was cole swindell and they invited some people from the media and then a bunch of the kids that they sponsor for dreams come true and cole got to meet the kids and i helped facilitate an interview between he and one of the girls who won to at the time wanted to grow up and do broadcasting and it was he was so patient so sweet so kind uh so i'm super excited that he's gonna be here next year yeah i like him a lot we did do our giveaway already we sure did yes okay because i'm feeling like we may have potentially some giveaways with the players coming up in the next few weeks that would be awesome wanted to make sure we did ours tonight but uh those are probably coming too folks Yes, I love that. And it's one of my favorite events of the year, obviously the players in general, but especially the military concert and all the seeing just all the military and, and sometimes there's a reunion, a surprise reunion, which is mm-hmm. just emotional and so much fun to watch. And just usually it's gorgeous weather. And I know Cole also loves golf, so yeah. he'll be excited about that and getting to play right there at that iconic 17. I mean, just super special. Riley Green did it last year. And so, yeah, they've had a long string of country other than one year. And I feel like country does well that year. Yes. Yes. And that was was when they said, okay, I guess we can't do pop artists. got a little wild. Because then we will have global. (laughs) No, because then we'll have global pandemics. So we're sticking to the country artists. Yeah. And I will say we were broadcasting from the benefactor tent that Mm -hmm. time. And it was so loud. Like we could barely hear ourselves speak um, that night Mm -hmm. during the show. Because, of course, Helmets and Heels is also on Tuesdays. So we are broadcasting during 
the that concert. Was my first players on heels. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, and so I you remember vividly being like, remember <laughs> like holding my ear, being like, "Hold on, I can't hear." <laughs> so it's not normally like that, as you know. Uh, but yeah, really excited for the players uh, for that get, uh, and certainly everyone, make sure you get your tickets for Tuesday if you want to go to the concert. The concert itself is free as long as you get tickets for Tuesday, and then if you do need parking, you'll have to purchase that as well. Uh, but just go to the players' website and you'll find all of that. All right, Mia, when it comes to college basketball, who recently has been playing well? Yeah, so I think uh, we're finally getting to a point, which of course it's December 12th, so anything could happen in the next three months, where we're starting to see the pack start separate themselves a little bit, that upper echelon and even that second tier is starting to kind of materialize. Um, Arizona, the unquestioned number one team in the land, although um, they certainly have an interesting schedule up ahead that I think could factor into whether or not they remain the number one team in the country. Uh, And that includes and begins with playing number three, Purdue this Saturday. Then they play number 15 FAU. They have to play an Alabama team that I watched go toe to toe with Purdue on Saturday. And I mean, Mark Sears, the the point guard is one of the most electric point guards in college basketball right now. Colorado is also on their schedule, obviously as a member of the PAC 12 RIP almost. Um, and Colorado was ranked at different points this year. And so it's not going to be the easiest road for Tommy Lloyd and the cats, but right now the number one team, although Purdue will have something to say about that. Um, the team that and course, that's like one of those you'll be locked into, I'm guessing. Uh, yes and no, because it's at four 30. Uh, I'm flying back from a wedding and my cousins are also coming into town. So we will see timing wise. Cause it's a four 30 tip. Um, so that'll be a interesting time because but if you didn't have that stuff that'd yeah be appointment viewing for gotcha. sure for sure and if you are remotely into college basketball I know the weather's supposed to be a little iffy this weekend yes unfortunately it may be something worth watching um because the biggest question that people have right now is can Zach Eady repeat as national player of the year even though we all know that whenever Purdue gets to that number one overall ranking they find a way to lose um and, and so are do they actually have the clutch gene is his backcourt, uh, those two young sophomore guards, can they actually hold up against stiffer competition, against bigger physical guards? Um, it's it's the million-dollar question because we live in an age of basketball where in the NBA, the back-to-the-basket cent- back center is extinct. That's a dinosaur. And yet you have between Oscar Shibway two years ago and Zach Eady last year into this year, and while certainly both are trying to be more athletic, step out and shoot the ball as well, that's what the cream of the top is right now in college basketball in terms of national player of the year. The only player that could question Zach Eady as the national player of the year or at least give him a, a run for his money as of this writing is Hunter Dickinson, the former Michigan forward who now has taken his talents to um, Kansas and playing for Bill Self. Uh, if you want to get a laugh, uh, go Google Hunter Dickinson fight versus oh. KMBC or whatever the, the Kansas University of Kansas City whatever they're called, the Mm -hmm. ruse, the kangaroos, um, because Hunter Dickinson put a WWE move on uh, one of their players coming down from the basket and is suspended for the next two games. Um, And so he's, like, trying to be a villain when it's like, dude, we need you to at least, like, try to remake your bad boy image. Like, you don't come off that way. He's very soft-spoken, and yet he just wants to fight people. Um, So, but I think Kansas is up there. The team for me to beat remains UConn. Um, they obviously lost six of their top eight scores from a national title team a year ago. They've reloaded. Um, Cam Spencer, the Rutgers transfer, who I actually got to see play because my friend's on the staff there, is awesome. Like, I mean, I thought he was good at Rutgers. He was a nice three-point specialist. Like, he's out here running the show for Dan Hurley and company, which I never thought would be the case. Um, but, yeah, so I, I have them at, at number three in my AP poll. I think UConn's fun to watch. 
Um, I I think they'll be there in the end again because they have the championship pedigree, even if it's not the same roster. And so that's a fun one to watch. Houston and Baylor also hanging around. Marquette, Tyler Kolick is probably the best point guard in the country right now. Um, so they're a lot of fun. And yeah, and then from there, it's kind of a revolving door of who got beat this week, who didn't. Mm-hmm. If I can give you a local-ish connection, Ooh. since, of course, um, we claim ourselves as, uh, what's that, the the Clems- Clemson Jaguars, Jacksonville Tigers, uh, between Travis and Trevor. Um, and Tyler. And, and Tyler. Yes, and Tyler Shatley, don't you forget. Loyal friend, loyal, loyal listener, and also good friend of the program. Clemson's undefeated in basketball, and people are going nuts about it because this is, hasn't happened since the early 90s, and it's the best start they've had in eons, thus, because it's their best start since then. And so people are very into Clemson basketball. Their head coach was really on the hot seat heading into this year, um, but here they are in first place in the ACC. Uh, they do have to play Memphis this weekend, Penny Hardaway and his uh, transfer portal squad and get some of the young five stars he brings in. Always a dangerous team, so that'll be a great matchup. That's at 3 o'clock this Saturday. They do have to host uh, the Tar Heels to, um, excuse me, they travel to Miami to open ACC play in 2024 at the beginning of January, and then they host UNC, and so that's two top 25 matchups right off the bat. So I'm curious to see if Clemson can keep pace because they have a ton of transfers in their own right, Um, Mm -hmm. guys that a lot of other programs had kind of left for dead. Uh, I'm thinking about um, Joe Girard specifically from Syracuse, who I was like, how is this guy – how does he have eligibility? Like, he's washed at Syracuse. Well, he goes down a little old Clemson, and now Mm -hmm. he's revitalized his career. Um, And so it's it's an interesting dynamic. But, yeah, if you're looking for a team that's, like, relative to our area – Clemson, and then James Madison is still undefeated and still in wow. the top 25, and we love the Dukies. <laughs> Not Duke, the James Madden, Madison Dukies. <laughs> and so as I look over the top 25, uh, Clemson, though, is still thir- the AP top 25 for men's basketball. Clemson yeah. is 13th. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. It seems losing. like if you're I have number twelfth in my ballot. Okay, it seems like if you're number one in the ACC, one of the best basketball conferences in all of the land, and you're, I mean – they're also six, four and zero oh in non-con. Yeah. So I think that's actually. I'm really glad you brought that up, Lauren. Or maybe that's on neutral sites that they're four and zero. Oh. They're four and zero oh at home. Yeah. Two and zero oh away. Right, which included the win in Toronto over TCU on conference. Saturday. Um, it's actually a great segue because I know Rick Ballou is going to join us for crosstalk here in a second. That's what a lot of basketball pundits have been just so shocked by. The fact that the ACC, which is supposed to be the premier basketball conference with all the North Carolina teams. And they've kind of just been pushed to the side. Um, largely. North Carolina's ranked ninth, even though they're seven and two. Mm-hmm. Well ahead of Clemson. I mean, a few spots ahead of Clemson. And then Virginia, who's eight and one, also an ACC team, obviously, twenty uh, second. Yeah. Is that scheduling stuff? A like, lot of it is scheduling. Of yeah, a lot of it's scheduling because Clemson's non-con in their first few games of the season weren't anything to really cry home about. But what we have experienced in college football over the last few months of what is the longevity of the ACC, especially if they really become the all-coast conference by adding Stanford and Cal, and do they add other schools? Is it really still that regional ACC? Basketball pundits are now struggling with this because they're like, you know, what happens if Jim Phillips can't lead this conference into its next iteration to compete with the SECs and the Big Tens of the world? Where do these schools go? I mean, does a Duke, especially in light of Mike Elko's departure, do they pack it up and say we'd rather join a premier basketball conference in the Big East, but then our football team goes to FCS or mm-hmm. joins the American Athletic? Um, those are like real hypotheticals that are being thrown out there right now just because 
and Rick's going to join us right now, and I know uh, he has some feelings about Jim Phillips and the ACC. What is the longevity of that conference? And so I, I think that it is an indictment on what the national perception across all sports are of that conference at this juncture. All right, let's say hello to Rick Blue. Now, the two-minute drill, brought to you by Tire Outlet, keeping 1010XL on track with wholesale prices and premium service. Tire Outlet, Jacksonville's largest locally-owned automotive repair shop. Well, Rick. Hello. I saw the Attorney General is suing for, the Florida Attorney General is suing the College Football Playoff Committee for FSU not getting in. So stupid. I mean, the rules are there. It says that you can drop a team if a player gets hurt. So they want more transparency that they want them to spell it out for them any differently than that. Um, Is this just a ploy by the attorney general to I mean, get people to, I don't know. To some extent, I admire the fight, but it's useless. Yeah. It's 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 a waste of, uh, of taxpayers' money. N- nothing is going to change. Best case scenario, what if they found collusion what if they found that espn or mm-hmm. disney or whatever put incredible amounts of pressure and they forced joe tessitore and herb street and Feinbaum to say something the game's still two weeks away yeah you're not going to be able to insert florida state in there so and everything's expanding next year yeah and and, and people want transparency and i and i get it but you know boo Car- boo corrigan came out and said it's written in their rules that you can drop a team if a guy gets injured. I, I didn't want to hear it as a Florida State grad. Florida State fans didn't want to hear it, but it's not like they wrote it in, in in very fine black ink for not many of us to see. It was clearly there for all of us to know and understand. And I think that was smart of them. Rick, to our point just now about on the basketball front, I think college basketball pundits and writers, especially those who cover the ACC, are currently trying to wrap their brain around what so many college football writers have over the past two years, which is a decline of ACC recognition nationally. Would you agree with that? And do you think that speaks to the leadership of the ACC or just the nature of the teams not being that good? Well, you lost some unbelievable coaches. You know, and I I agree with that. I, I think that they, Roy Williams especially, saw the transfer portal and he opted right out. And, you know, you look at Coach K as well. Uh, JJ and I were talking about it just last night. Out of any sport that we cover, any sport that we watch, nothing has dropped off the map the way the college basketball has. These kids can't inbound a basketball. They can't make a free throw. They can't run an offense. They have as many turnovers as they do assists. And what do you need in college basketball? You have what? Maybe a nine, ten-man rotation if you're lucky once you get to March Madness. In a starting five, you have year after year after year after year of experience. And when I started covering, uh, when I was in the media, um, Wake Forest had Tim Duncan as a senior. Mm-hmm. Okay? You had Bobby Hurley and Grant Hill and Thomas Hill and, and Christian Leitner all coming in as sophomores and juniors and seniors. You had yep. Joe Smith. Maryland was in the ACC then. Joe Smith, uh, and, you know, you had Stackhouse and Rasheed Wallace at North Carolina. You had guys who went back, and you get better as sophomores and juniors. We, we see this, how it hurts in football, but when you have such a small roster, it really destroys the sport of college basketball. So, yeah, I'm not surprised that, that the ACC is down a little bit. You know, the other side of it is nowadays every single team, every single game is on television. 
It's not like the old days with Dickie V yelling about, like, Big Monday and tonight, you know, we have a Duke-Wake Forest game. You can go looking for it, but you can find any game now on television. So I I think that's hurt the ACC a little bit as well. Rick, what's coming up tonight? You're going to have a lot of fun tonight. Uh, I'm going to hear from the listeners. I know they're anxious. Uh, I know they have a lot in their mind after two straight losses. Um, You know, the world isn't flat. It's... uh, it's, it's right now, it's a testament of trying to navigate through injuries. Every team is banged up. You cannot find a clear-cut a, a clear favorite right now in the NFL. I mean, most would say San Francisco. Seven weeks ago, they were here on a three-game losing streak. Right. Now they won five in a row. I mean, this league is just absolutely amazing. I can't believe what I watched last night with those two yeah. last-minute drives. I mean, it's like... Why do teams play so hard for 50-some-odd minutes and then just go to a prevent defense, um, you know, with under a minute to go? So we're going to dive into that, have a little bit of fun with Al Michaels tonight, who was oh, left yeah. off. Uh, Al's always one of my favorite guys to kind of uh, poke at because he makes a million dollars a game, and he's so miserable. <laughs> it's unbelievable, but he's going to be left off NBC's coverage, so... We'll get into that a little bit tonight and um, should have a lot of fun. I have from good intel. He's been out to lunch for quite some time. Yeah. Yeah. He loves the loves the gamble, loves the bet, but he just doesn't seem happy yep, I anymore. Know. You yeah, know? But he still is doing the Thursday night despite not feeling like you don't get the vibe that he's enjoying it. I started to get a little bit of that with Brad Nessler this year on CBS. Did you get any of that during his SEC games um, with Nessler? Probably not exactly that, but I know what you mean. Yeah. I And I do get that they're frustrated. Fr- it begins with being frustrated with the officials. Mm-hmm. We're all frustrated mm-hmm. with the officials. They, they're so bad. But when you have a job like that or a job like this, you know, you should be in enjoying yourself. You can complain. I love to complain. But do it with a smile on your face, <laughs> if that makes any sense. I think Nestler was thinking during every SEC game this year, I cannot believe I have to... To go oh, to no. the Big Ten next year. And think year. what he's going to have to do next that's, year. That's what it's yeah. going to be snowing instead of sunshining, you know, at the Grove or wherever. There you uh, go. Thanks, Bye. Rick. We will be back with you next Tuesday. Hopefully a victory Tuesday, but of course, don't go anywhere into the night with Rick Blue. Comes up next for Mia O'Brien, for Taylor Dahl, for JJ La Selva. I'm Lauren Brooks. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday night.